again to another episode of The Searchers. Uh, I'm your host, Ben, and joining me from L.A., we have Mr. Kevin. Yes, sir. Hey, what's up, guys? And from uh, Connecticut, we have our other host, Mr. Chris. How's it going, man? Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. And this week, we are going to cover a movie directed by Albert Pune called Down Twisted, or maybe infamously called The Treasure of uh, San Lucas from 1987, starring Carrie Lowell and Charles Rocket. Um, so, Chris, you're the one that picked this one to, to do, so uh, I'm going to throw the ball in your court. Uh, why did you choose this movie, and why are we watching uh, this unknown, you know, movie that most people listening right now have never heard of? Well, I picked <laughs> this film for a sad reason, because... Mr. Albert Pune is no longer with us. Uh, today we're recording in wow. December 2022, and Albert Pune has passed away a few weeks ago, November 26th, I believe. And uh, to commemorate his memory, I thought it would be a wonderful idea to watch a little Pune, uh, get a little puniness in our lives. Um, <laughs> something a little different. It's a little schlocky, something that not everybody may like. If you know Albert Pune, you know what you're getting into. He was a man who knew how to wrangle a low budget and work with it. And he would film things, never knowing if he was going to have a finished product by the end. So Down Twisted had been in my watch list ever since I started watching Pune films a few years ago. I only have previously five under my belt. So Down Twisted is officially the sixth Pune film I've seen. And I have a good idea of what he's about, what his style is, what techniques he's all, what he what he utilizes. And uh, I guess what I can tell you is he likes post-apocalyptic settings. He's influenced by noir and uh, some ho- Hong Kong action heroes. Um, he's also influenced by Walter Hill, specifically, um, with Down Twisted. Um, he's been on record saying that Walter Hill's Streets of Fire is a huge influence for Down Twisted. Oh, interesting. Um, that's pretty interesting. As well as... I just watched that. I watched it recently, yes. so that's kind of just a fortuitous timeline for me. Well, you can be able to talk more about that, because I actually haven't seen Streets oh, of Fire, well, so... I like yeah um, we can get to that in a few minutes but um to piggyback on what you what you said yeah I've I would consider this my my second pune film because I've seen Nemesis but I've seen enough of Cyborg to really kind of get the gist of that uh John Claude Van Damme movie but I think this Kevin is this is this is your <laughs> this is your first time right first pune movie I believe it is his first yeah I don't know if he cut out, but regardless, um, I like Nemesis. I watched that like a year ago and, um, the obviously way different film than uh down twisted. Very yeah. different. I mean, I, I don't think he ever really, yes. I mean, he has a couple, if you look at his uh, filmography, some of the f- films are, you know, kickboxer. I think he made, did he make two, three and four or just two and four, maybe just two and four. Um, I don't know the answer to that. I, I think he did, I think he only did two and four. Kickboxer was uh, done by someone else, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, 
I, I lost you guys for a second there. But any, but to answer your question, Ben. Yeah, to answer your question, Ben. Yeah. Uh, so I thought it would be my first Pune film, but funnily enough, it well actually, it is my first Pune film in full. But until Chris picked this film, I looked I, I looked him up shortly before uh, watching Down Twisted, and I realized, hey, wait a second, he directed a film that I saw. I partly saw, and that happened to be 1990's Captain America starring J.D. Salinger's son. And for those of you who don't know J.D. Salinger, he is the author of The Catcher in the Rye, which might be might have been required reading back in high school for a lot of you. But that was um, my first experience with Pune. And so it's kind of funny that uh, uh, that this happened to be my, my very first Pune film. And I uh, in in addition to it, you know, like I thought that it was my first Pune film. I also thought it was my first schlocky film. However, that's not true because one late night uh, back in college working uh, in the animation labs late at night, a friend of mine put on The Toxic Avenger. And that's my very first uh, schlock film. Schlock is still sort of a blind spot for me, but uh it's a, it's sort of an oh well, I mean not just for me but I think for many people but it is a particular cinematic art form uh, that is an acquired taste uh, something that I may have to get used to and as I look back at something like Down Twisted you know it it, it yeah it's a sort of uh, you know it's 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 a sort of it's still sort of a genre that I need to get accustomed to but the more I think about something like Down Twisted it becomes comes it becomes more amusing the more you think about it in the same way that watching the film became more amusing as i went through it uh may it just becomes funnier and funnier over time i mean that's how i that's how i'm taking it i don't know about you guys i i know chris has a lot to say so i was going to say before he gets into it some more i the 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 shock genre quote unquote is a huge blind spot for me. Cause I just like, I just never had any avenues as a, as a kid growing up to watch it. I didn't have cable TV. So any of the stuff that was shown on TV, total blind spot. Uh, whenever I went to blockbuster with my dad getting VHSs and then DVDs, I mean, he looked at everything I got just to make sure I wasn't, you know, mistakenly, uh, bringing home an MC 17 or like super, you know, rated rated R movie <laughs> that I shouldn't be bringing home, uh, which I never I never actually did. Um, but uh, regardless, again, it's there's not a there's not a real defined way to to see these movies until the age of the internet and streaming. Um, you know, we hated on streaming a, a couple uh, episodes ago, but again, it it is a very big it's a big benefit in in terms of getting these old movies that you'll you'll never see anywhere else one yeah, one of the true. greatest one of the greatest benefits exactly as you're saying of technology is being able to dig into all of these niches of cinema that went to straight to home release or perhaps never had a proper release and a lot of these low budget never heard of movies are now getting to have their moment in the sun. And it's something we're going to keep referring to this genre as schlock. I think just as a broad term, even if it's not totally correct. Yeah. 
but schlock it it's i think the perfect way to describe it in my experience is it's it's honestly a cinema lovers genre because a lot of the directors who participate in here in this genre have they pay a lot of uh tribute to their forebears and they sort of know what they're going for um maybe the budget isn't always there and personally for me one of the reasons why i love stuff that nobody's ever heard of and there are friends i follow on letterbox and people out there who are way way more deep into this than i am but the reason why i love this so much is because directors like pune have a ton of heart when they do these things and even if it's not a polished product i think a lot of the heart is still is still there um and down twisted i think really represented that for me um i was actually going into it i wasn't expecting to like it uh as much because i'll set the background for everybody and all the listeners that my previous five pune films i he never broke a two and a half out of five stars for me. Um, so he was a very, I guess what you would call mediocre director and it would mm-hmm. be appropriate to what most would de- define a schlock. Um, but now down twisted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally, totally surpassed my expectations. It's a very awesome genre piece. Pune knows where his influences are coming from sure he's got basically no budget here um but i think i think carrie lowell and charles rocket sort of really sell what their performances and i think everyone's having a ton of fun here to be honest um so i don't know if you guys have anything else you want to say about that i think pune is uh his some of his stuff is a little bit better I don't know, Chris, your, your opinion is differing than mine on a nemesis. I thought, I mean, I gave it, a, I think a six out of 10, three, three out of five stars on letterbox. Mm. I gave it two out of five, I believe. I think if you think about it, it's very much like that movie came out in the early nineties and it kind of merged like the cyberpunk, um, setting with like the Hong Kong action. And, you know, another famous, movie that did that was the matrix so i think pune doesn't get credit for kind of doing these like genre mixes before like other mainstream ones uh mainstream ones exactly so like he he never got the credit for that um and i'm sure there's other examples i've only seen technically two and a half i will will round to the middle and say two and a half of his movies since cyborg hasn't been a full watch but again cyborg another example of like you could probably think of an example of a mainstream movie that came out f- two to five years after that, that is very similar to the, his movie. And just because it's a B B slash C movie doesn't mean it doesn't have its merits. Exactly. And the fascinating right. thing to me is Pune, even though previous to down twisted, I had given a lot of lower ratings to his movies. Pune is obviously an auteur. And I don't know if you guys picked up on that, but it's he rides this line of being a low budget, blocky, for lack of a better word, director who is also he he very distinctly has his own style. And I think that's really neat. You know, not you can't say that about a lot of people. Um, 
So I don't know if we're going to, you know, analyze that a little bit as far as uh, what he this, does here. Same thing, actually. You were. Yeah, I was going to say the same exact thing. Yeah, because I mean, like, when I mean, like, see, like, again, schlock isn't uh, my style. And, you know, we, we, Chris, you brought up the, you know, the fact that, that did make this film on very, very low budget, which can be, you know, account for, you know, the bad, you know, cinematography, the bad, uh, the, the bad framing, the bad, any of that. But in a way, you see that Pune takes pride in that. And it, it that itself becomes an art form because all the exactly. hamness, all of the purposely bad, unfocused cinematography, it becomes an art form and it becomes something very interesting uh, there. Well, and in this case, it, there it adds is to the noir. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And when you look at you said that Carrie Lowell and Charles Rocket carry the whole thing. And I write in my review that, yeah, I thought Carrie Lowell was the saving grace of the entire film. But then I think I look at it more. And as the film progressed, as I kept watching, you know, Charles. Yeah, you, we can say that Charles Rocket, I think, carried the film very well, just like that straightforward acting uh, creates a. It just, it's just so hysterical and so humorous. It really fits the uh, the style. Not only carries the movie, but fits the style. And it, it, I, th I thought it worked. I thought it worked really well. well. And Rocket, what's fascinating about his role is he's coming straight from, well, maybe not exactly straight from, but you can see how he harkens back to his early SNL days because he's also riding a line yeah. between being comically being comical with his physicality getting whacked in the face mm -hmm. multiple times um before we actually figure out what his role is and then mm -hmm. also <laughs> has i mean he comes from a comedic background so we can call him a comedian right and he has this very yeah. traditional yeah, hero look which is appealing and it's like it's weird because you shouldn't be yeah. able to fit both of these things together. But I I really think Rocket is good at it. Maybe it doesn't necessarily fit the yeah, film. Yeah, no, no, he is. But uh -huh. it's fascinating, right? It's fascinating. That's something I also wanted to bring up. Like you, perfect. You said it perfectly. Uh, but there is a juxtaposition between this really comedic hysteria form of acting and then you look at yeah he does look like the american hero like the typical american hero and square jaw just, yeah it's amusing right it's really amusing to see yeah exactly square jaw he's got the hair he's got this yeah he's got he's got the squarish face and you would think yeah this is a real american hero but he's a very clumsy very it it, it it's seemingly it shouldn't work but it actually does work and you said it doesn't really carry the film chris yeah yeah like it I thought it. I thought it worked. I thought it fit well with uh, the film because there is a juxtaposition between uh, trying to be straightforward with uh, the style, with the material, and then it comes off as very, you know, it, it's just a complete. It's just completely hysterical. I wish I could say more about it, but you know, something that's kind of difficult to de to describe, honestly, for me. I'm but agreed. The way you described. Uh, Charles Rockets. See, you know, the funny thing is that Charles Rocket, this is, I haven't seen him in much, and I didn't even know that he was a, an SL cast member. Was that, uh, like, circa, like, the early 80s, back when he SL was, part was of, even that? I think, 
no, Kevin, he was originally, he was one of the original cast members with Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. Oh, and, oh and okay. I'm so wrong about that. Oh, I'm so wrong about that. Okay. I, I mean, unless if I could be mistaken, but I'm, I'm pretty positive about this. And he, he is infamous. Uh-huh. Um, he got fired from SNL because he was caught on a hot mic and he, oh. he d- dropped the F bomb live um, during one of the early recordings. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. <laughs> and it was, it was like, I don't know if it was by accident oh, or no on purpose. Idea. Yes. So um, mm. I don't know how many episodes of SNL he ever was a part of. That and- Isn't it funny how to date oh, today gosh, he could have like literally raped somebody and they probably wouldn't have fired him. To go from uh, one extreme <laughs> to the next, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, right. so little background on yeah, Rocket. Yeah. That's, thing, I was gonna say about Charles Rocket. Oh yeah, go on, Chris. I was just gonna say that that would be the general background. That anybody who doesn't know who he is, um, you can look up the little trivia on his SNL stint, and then he kind of just lingered in no man's land for the rest of his career until he tragically committed suicide in the early two thousands. Um, so the dude, yeah, the dude had a really kind of sad, um, sort of sad life, sad is life. what it seems, what it seems like. And I feel for the guy cause down twisted. He's, he's awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's great. He's great. <laughs> There's so many examples of comedians that everyone thought were just so funny and so great. And yet they killed themselves. And the one that comes to mind is obviously Robin Williams, but I, there's probably like five that five to ten other ones where they they're super funny but in their personal life they're just tortured souls man yeah it's it's yeah. sad and yeah yeah rocket definitely embodied that i think um so yeah i mean going back to rocket i, I was gonna say only uh see like it, it really harkened back to well this was he did this role way later but he was in see one of my favorite movies growing up as a kid was dumb and dumber uh, by the Farrelly brothers with Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels and Charles Rocket. You know, everyone, they, they ham up their performances and they do it so well. But when you see that uh, and then you see Charles Rocket's performance, he's, again, just like in Down Twisted, he's playing it very straightforward. But, he, you know, minus the craziness, minus all of that, he's playing it so straightforward throughout all the comedy. And it's it's really smooth. It fits so well, and there's just so much humor in his straightforwardness, and it's just so it's just absolutely fantastic. So it really was that, it really plays because uh, I was kind of surprised to see Charles Rocket and Downs Twisted. Yeah, and it really oh, plays to the noir aspects of the film, where you have the the archetypal, I guess if you want to call it that, double cross and triple cross and quadruple cross this movie sort sort of gets a little ridiculous in that regard um but it's paying homage to the classic film noir tropes in that way um and rocket's performance the the double crossing really kind of relies on that because he's goofy and then he's not goofy right he's he's goofy and then he's the straight guy and exactly it's it's a smooth transition, I think. Um, maybe not to everybody's taste, but I was watching just like a couple random scenes in the past like hour, just to kind of catch up since I watched it a couple days ago, or like at this point almost a week ago. 
Um, and there is one scene in the beginning where we, after I, after I say what I'm going to say, we need to go through the plot a little bit to give people some background. Um, but there's the scene where they're in the parking garage and he's literally like ran into, he's like talking to Carrie Lowell's character and is asking her like, what's wrong? And, And then like some stuff happens and he just like is running away from the bad guys and just runs right into a big, like concrete pole or post or whatever you want to call it. And he's just like, oh, like you don't know it. But at the time it looked ridiculous and stupid. But when you get to the end of the movie, it was obviously he was faking it. Exactly. So it's kind of cool. It it works. It actually works. (laughs) It's kind of cool that when you're watching it in the moment, you think it, you think, oh, this movie is just shitty. And then (laughs) you go to the end (laughs) and you now, now all the pieces fall into place and you're like, oh, that's really clever for a low budget film. Like, mm-hmm. you didn't need any special effects for that. It worked in the story. So Albert Pune not only directed this, but he wrote it. So having a full hand on the story, too, I think really kind of gave him a good good control over this particular film, as opposed to others where maybe he didn't have control over the writing. You know? Mm-hmm. Right. Right, 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 yeah. Now, that's something that's actually a point to, to me, and that kind of adds to uh, m- the fact that I might even raise the rating of this film uh, <laughs> from my yes, slowly two and a half out of five stars. Which I mean, like you know, I, I see even even though I give it that rating, I mean, I still enjoy the film. I still like it. But when you look, but again, like like what Ben just did, he you look deeper into the scenario and what Charles Rocket's character does. What, what's his name again in this film? I forgot. Uh, Reno. First of all, okay. Re- yes. Yeah, he, he plays someone named Reno. There's more to it than that, of course, and we'll go. To, we'll we'll get into that later. But uh, but yeah, what Ben just said. Uh, when you look at the the hamminess of his performance, it actually does make sense once you progress through the film and you realize he is just faking it. And it's yeah, uh, it it works. It, it works finely, honestly. And really quickly, um, Chris, to go back to what you were saying, yeah. Uh, Rocket was a, he was one of the uh, repertory players of season six of SNL. So this was during the early 80s. Uh, when okay, so you were right. That was during the, the, yeah, it was time of Joe Piscopo, Gilbert Gottfried, and Eddie Murphy. So that was Eddie Murphy's, I think, first season on SNL. And Charles Rocket, geez, you know, you look at that, Charles Rocket could have been really, really big uh, had he continued on. Um, but it is really sad what what happened. I don't really know why that's a normal thing among comedians. He got shafted because, over you know, one word, man. And some people, over some one people word, just yeah. get away with. The, I mean, it's twenty twenty two. Away with murder? No, well that too. Oh, the glove doesn't. The glove. The glove doesn't fit. Um, again, it's a little co- more complicated than that now. Back then, you could fire anybody for anything because it was like, oh, it's showbiz. But now it's. Oh, you you're, you you scratch my back, so I'll save yours. And it's it's unfortunate if you well, just as the tangent, it would be really interesting to delve into like a lot of the people who uh, passed away early in the past fifty years in Hollywood and see who got screwed over somehow and how it ruined their lives. And I bet there's a lot more than just you know a handful. Yeah, yeah, true, very true. I don't really know why it's a normal thing among uh, comedians or among, you know, just, you know, that that realm of uh, of performers. But just 
you know, you 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 see them as like the, as the funny character, the one who wants to make people laugh. And just again, another tangent. I'm sorry, but it just sort of reminds me of uh, Richard Jenny. I don't know if you know Richard Jenny, but he, for me, I know him from the movie The Mask with Jim Carrey playing uh, Jim Carrey's best friend in that film. And his character, although small, uh, just a very very minor character. He's a supporting character, but you know, you look at these people, you wouldn't think that they're actually going through something in real life. And for him, I know I read somewhere that he he committed suicide too, just like Charles Rocket. But there, with comedians, there is a need to make people laugh, and it's like that's all they've got. And outside outside of that realm, you just see sadness, you see regret, you see depression, and it's like I'm not really sure why that's a running theme among. Well, maybe calling it a running theme might be an insult, but uh, I don't mean, mean it that way. But it's sort of a running. Uh, it's sort of a form of normalcy among yeah it's it's a pattern it's like it's just a pattern among comedians and so with Charles Rocket uh yeah that is really sad because i would have loved to see his career take off even more um from additionally SNL, from stuff like this additionally a lot of comedians this is another pattern a lot of comedians are uh-huh. are great at drama but not a lot of yes. people who do drama can do comedy, right? So when you turn That's it around and look at it that way, there's sort of a spectrum that comedians can cover that not your normal straight actor can't. And another flip side to that is you, if you look at comedic duos, you have in a lot of the classic comedic duos, you have the goofball. I'll just use Abbott and Costello as an example. You have the you have the lovable goofball in Lou Costello, and then you have Bud Abbott, who always plays the straight guy. Um, so you have a you have the anchor, and you have the guy bouncing off of the anchor, or whatever you want to call it. So in, in some traditional comedic setups, you have both, but it's interesting how comedians can land on that spectrum. Um, that sort of covers more ground than your traditional actor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right right uh, that might be it's pretty interesting because when you look at it robin williams never finished his his uh, education at juilliard uh it got to a point i read this somewhere that he was doing so much and it got to a point where uh his teacher or maybe uh, maybe one or two said you know what we don't really know what to what to give you anymore. I mean, you might as well just leave. And he did. And then his career took off. He is. I think. He's so. He's so creative. But he going. What you said, Chris, about. You know. Drama, a good, a really good actor. That is. Did everybody in his. Uh, famous people like, say, Christopher Reeve. And it's, that is really interesting to get a really good actor out of a very good comedian. You can't meet out of a dramatist, of a good you know, drama actor or some, something like that. So no, yeah. it, it's yeah. a very, very interesting... Uh, oh, Matt, I don't... Can it. Charles Rock would definitely, I think, fit that category. Had his crew 
And I think you can see that. Honestly. Yeah, I think you can see that here. And he, I agree with you. I think he would have taken off if he was utilized more as a player in a straight drama, for example. Um, We can be speculating about a whole bunch of things like that, but fortunately we don't have the evidence. Yeah. Um, Ben, what did you, I mean, what do you think? Uh-huh. What do you think about yeah, exactly. Rocket in general? Did you did you like Rocket's performance, or are you just kind of were you not really all that keen about it? I mean, watching it in the moment, it was again one of those things where I think the first like twenty minutes of him on screen, I was like, "This is just goofy." Yeah. And then like the fi- the final like thirty minutes happened, and I was like, I, I was actually kind of impressed how it all unfolded. And the dynamic I, I think yeah. if I were to give it a rewatch, knowing what's going to happen, I think I might like his role a little bit more. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of really, I liked Carrie Lowell a lot more, I think, but it's, I have, I have recency bias with her since I've just seen her in um, the, uh, I'm blanking. Is it license? Yeah. License to kill. Uh, yeah. So I just saw that semi-recently so i'm just having a little bit of you know recency bias and if i were to re-watch it i think i might since hearing you guys talk about it it might might uh have a better impression on a second watch um he was just kind of there for he, he was just he was just kind of there for me that's fair that's fair i think you would enjoy it more mm-hmm. on a second watch um i mean i think all three of us agree that carrie lowell is the star here and just just like how Rocket has the two sides and it all sort of just unfolds in the last 30 minutes pretty smoothly, Lowell has a phenomenal transformation where she plays a really naive, career-bound, uh, career-bound girl. And by the end, I mean, there's a few scenes in general, uh, specifically, where her transformation is complete and she's like this she's this dame with i guess attitude is what you could call it or i don't know um but she has a full full change by the end and rocket who's the experienced thief is the one who ends up following her when they go on the boat at the end and and the movie ends i would yeah um, i would i would just say at the end she has experience and she's not she's not a uh, greenhorn anymore but it, it uh chris not to put you on the spot but can we get no like, go ahead can we get like a little bit of a summary of the of the of the plot so that listeners can kind of understand i again yeah, i know i know I, I know a summary is going to be kind of difficult because there are so many like back and forths on no who, who, no we who, can do this yeah all right yeah so uh down twisted uh quick little plot you have Carrie Lowell, Maxine is her character's name. She is uh, on the straight path to finding a career. She's very job oriented, um, on on the straight and straight path. Doesn't do drugs, all that kind of stuff. Um, so she gets hooked up by her friend one night. Um, her friend pulls her in. She's a, her friend's a mess. And uh, her friend gets her to 
well actually i think in the movie she doesn't even call her a friend i think it's a roommate um and her roommate gets her pulled into a money scheme uh money slash drug scheme and shit goes down when she convinces the friend convinces Carrie Lowell to go make a delivery for her. And basically from there, Lowell gets involved with, um, a heist and a bunch of other thieves looking for a fascinating little curio out of San Lucas. And then the film becomes a adventurous jaunt, at all these exotic locales um, where everyone's chasing the other person because they want, they want this fancy artifact that originally had to do with some sort of drug deal. Not sure if I did the movie justice there, but Lola gets pulled in. She comes across rocket um, Charles rocket. Um, and he's, you find out that he's sort of not everything that he appears to be at first. How'd I do, Ben? I think that was a uh, fair assessment without giving too much away. Um, yeah, probably not the smoothest, but... Oh, it, uh, it's, it's it's very hard. I think it's very hard to summarize this movie. If you, I mean, if you look on Letterboxd, IMDb, Wikipedia, no one has attempted to try and summarize the plot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't even realize that. Like the plot is like always three or four sentences like, oh, this naive waitress, uh, blah, blah, blah. And that's it. It's like she's involved in some plot. And that's it. And that's yeah, literally like it. she literally I mean, that's really all you need to know, I guess. I mean, she she's a naive young girl nice who's career bound, working her butt off and she gets pulled in by her lousy roommate, <laughs> basically. And yeah. uh, she gets she gets I, swept into this I, I need trotting. Quote I need, unquote adventure. I need to interrupt. When the roommate that that scene when she pulls up in the car and the roommate's all disheveled and she's like in a Porsche. She's in like a Porsche. For one, she's in a Porsche. Yes. yes. Right? And yes. Carrie Lowell's like, Oh, like I don't need your bullshit tonight. Like, what's going on? And like, oh, you haven't paid me rent? And I'm like, she's driving a Porsche and she hasn't paid you rent. Like, shouldn't you be asking more questions here? Um Absolutely. And then, <laughs> and then she, the girl just like, if you don't come and help me, I'm going to kill myself. And she just pulls out a fucking gun and like, and she's just like, okay, I'll help yeah. you. <laughs> yes. Yes. I want to actually, while we're on this note here, I want to give a shout out to the actress. I believe she's an Australian actress who played the roommate. Um, the, correct uh, me if I'm wrong. Trudy Doctorman. Michelle. Trudy Doctorman, or yeah, I, don't I think know she's, Australian. C- she's Australian. I don't know. Okay, and I don't know if the C is silent. It could be Doderman. Maybe it's Doctorman. Not sure. Yeah, one um, or the other. <laughs> ben, when you were shooting us screenshots from that article, I think that's where they came from. There's a shot of her on a bed, and she's wearing a white tank, and she's like unloading a gun. I'm looking at it and... right now. That's <laughs> one of the best photos, I think. Uh, that needs to be blown up, and it needs to be a poster sent to everybody. Yeah, that that's from like some French some fr- there's some French website with like a bunch of like I guess marketing stills or whatever you call those, um, with like you know a picture of an actor doing something or it's like mid scene or it's them posing right. and yeah in the little bottom there's, basically there's a little stamp with like 
the movie and the stars. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that this one with this girl holding an Uzi is not in the movie at all. <laughs> yeah. It, so she's sort of unrecognizable in a way there, but I mean, she's stunning in the picture and it's a great, it's a great photo. Um, and, and I think if there was one person in the cast that impressed me after the movie was over, I think I, I think it would be her. Um, she, I sort of didn't give oh, her yeah. enough credit at first. And then, and then the whole movie <laughs> happens. And um, I think it was, I think she, I think she was great. I think she was great. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to throw my two cents. about. Yeah, I, I don't think she's done her. much. I agree. I agree she, with what little she did. No, she didn't do much. I don't think she's done um, much other movies. Like that, maybe I, I think she was two. in one. I think she was in one John Hughes movie, which was she's having a baby really? with Kevin Bacon, and I think no her way. credit. <laughs> I think I think her credits are that movie and Down Twisted, and that is it. And if you go on Letterbox, no she's she, she's literally listed like in the in the twenties. Oh. Uh, her her role in and she's having a baby is model. She's a model. <laughs> there you really? go. So really, not, I mean, <laughs> I'm not surprised. She's a pretty good looking girl, but uh, not a uh, starring or didn't have a budding career. Let's just say that. I just want to say yeah. that if Trudy ever listens to our podcast, that I loved her in Down Twisted, and um, <laughs> thank you. And that picture of you in the oh, still. Geez is is nice I, I, least, there's pro- there's <laughs> we'll probably in there too there's probably more of a chance of her listening to our podcast than barbara stanwick listening to our podcast so that's a, that's that's a well i think barbara stanwick is here with us in spirit then so don't do that <laughs> <laughs> oh man i think she's listening and she appreciates the fact that i do love her okay and i think that might be one of the she one of her movies might be one of the next ones upcoming on this podcast exactly right <laughs> so, uh, but i do want to second what chris uh, what chris said about about trudy yeah i mean with the little scenes that she pulled off here um she did leave an impression on me she did and yeah you especially know, by the end going back though yeah going back and uh going back to what we were saying about plot how to describe this plot yeah there isn't really much to say but really you know it's a yeah again as you said chris a, a girl living in the city of angels trying to make it like all other dream here in los angeles and i know how it is because i live here you know everyone's just about to, to ask you somebody yeah i was just about to ask you do you know about living in the city of angels <laughs> do i know yeah <laughs> uh, i know a bit and yeah you know a lot of people a lot of people they People who come to Los Angeles, you know, they want to be somebody, you know, it's just kind of like uh, what we were talking about. Like, let's just harken back a bit to the last episode of The Big Country where people, you know, you've got someone like Jim McKay moving out west. And, you know, you've got a lot of people in Los Angeles, people who are from out of town, people from the East Coast moving out west to become somebody. And, you know, when you take into account Maxine, uh, not much of her not for characters explored in down twisted of course but maxine is kind of represents that you know that theme of trying to make it somewhere trying to make it out in los angeles and she's just you know a lowly waitress trying to earn get to the big leagues and she's trying to earn that big job so the plot is you know dreamer gets caught in a 
in a scheme by her shitty roommate and then suddenly is on the run in another country in mexico and runs into a clumsy stranger played by charles rocket will she be able to return to the city of angels and get that dream job or you know will she she get sucked down the black (laughs) hole exactly does she keep going what happens in the end doesn't that yeah doesn't that sound kind of like what you just described and you know before she gets sucked into the the uh, crime doesn't that kind of sound a little bit like Albert Pune himself? Like he's trying to make it and he just keeps. That's why t- this is why I love this. I love everything like about this, you know, cause it can be applied. The heart of it can be applied so many different ways. And maybe it wasn't intentional in that way when it was being filmed, but it's a, it's a purveying theme when you look at the product overall. And I love the heck out of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, really, exactly. Yeah, you yeah, really I, liked I, it. I agree. Well, I do. I do. I do. I liked it way Chris more. Chris loves I, this film so much. I, I do. I, lo- <laughs> I I loved it more than I'm. And when I tell you guys, I wasn't expecting to. I, I hope you believe me because if you look mm-hmm. at the other five Pune films I've seen, I have not been. Uh-huh. I haven't been. I haven't been enamored by them like this one. This one just. It sucked me in. I mean, this is a great, mm-hmm. great moment to talk about Pune's ability also to utilize music. I, mm-hmm. there's one other film that has stuck out in my head that I've seen by Pune called Vicious Lips. And it was the film he did prior to mm-hmm. Down Twisted. Vicious Lips oh, really? is a film about, it takes place in the future, I believe. It's supposed to be in the future. Um, and it's a, uh-huh. It's a film about a girl rock band and they get, they get abducted or something. And it basically the rest oh, of the plot boy. doesn't matter, <laughs> but the first 30 minutes of that movie, yeah. <laughs> Hune, Hune is on fire with what he shows on camera to, to the music, like matching music with picture. He's on point. Um, mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. it's excellent. Oh, and then and then the rest of the movie happens and then it's and then it's not, unfortunately. Um of I'm, course it's just my opinion. I'm looking, but, at the, uh, I'm looking at the plot right now. Yeah, I'm looking at the plot of Vicious Lips right now. Uh they're lost and tagline, they're lost and loose in outer space. <laughs> exactly. I they get it. lost in outer space. I, I, yeah. I don't know. This looks this looks enticing to me. A bunch of gorgeous well, women and they're it's a female and they get sucked into outer space. I crushed hard. I crushed hard on the lead singer, and I can't remember the actress's name in that movie. But uh, my point is, is Gina Calabrese. Yes, I think it is. Yes, I think it's her Brie. She plays Brie. I believe that would be the the. Uh, that the sounds. Girl. That sounds she's right. Got top billing here. Yeah, yeah. That sounds right. <laughs> um, oh, okay. But right. if you watch, if you watch the first thirty minutes, yeah. I mean, even if you just watch the first thirty minutes and then forget the rest of the movie. Um, You'll see Uh what I mean about Pune's ability to match picture with sound because he does that here in Down Twisted. He does do that here. And it's... He does. There's something really charming to me about these 80s synthwave beats that are played almost consistently throughout, even when when the characters are talking. Yes. I wanted to talk about the music so bad. Yes. And... I, I don't think again I don't think it's music that everybody might like but for me it's it adds this layer of like 
uh, adrenaline maybe, or it gives it energy. And I appreciate that aspect of the little, the little bit that, that the music adds to the movie. Um, as well as Hune has, there's a few songs that he uses too. Um, and the needle drops are on point besides the synth music. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure I name the songs because one of them <laughs> uses it's a one of them's a remix of a fine young cannibal song, I believe. And I'm trying to find the info. If one of you guys want to talk about the music, that'd be great. I, I was going to say, Chris, because I think you you told us this earlier, or I, I don't know, I, I might be wrong about that. Uh, but was Pune influenced by Michael Mann and his style of combining like synth music with the haziness? I believe he was. Of the, the framing, the cinematography of his film. Because yeah. it worked so well. And I did hear, I think specifically, just in terms of lighting and the music, I could see a bit thief, which is not something I thought of initially. Uh, when watching the film, but then I look back and after, you know, hearing that sentiment about being inspired by Michael Mann and his style of filmmaking, I think to myself, oh, okay, I see that in, in Pune's, uh, Pune's Flitties. In his movie. Yeah, I mean, you can see, you can, yeah. I mean, Thief, Thief influenced so much of the 80s, so it's hard to, like, not have a yeah. thriller or an action film that came out of the 80s and not right. be influenced by Thief. But I think it is safe to say that uh-huh. specifically Pune is influenced by that that movie, um, and he's on mm-hmm. record mm-hmm. having been influenced specifically by Streets of Fire, also um, Walter Hill's film. Uh, Which, okay. Uh, okay, you guys okay. both okay, need to see that. Oh my god! Yes, yes, Streets yes. of Fire. <laughs> it, it is okay. It is a mashup of genres. It's like fifties meets eighties. It's like fifties. Gang culture meets eighties rock and roll culture. It's oh, actually really awesome. Yeah. I'm yeah, looking at it yeah. right now. Why did I not why why have I not seen this? And before? and Ben for Wait, fun. A mixture of fifties and eighties. That's my that's my jam. I yeah, okay. yeah, I'm telling Diane you right Lane's now. In it too. Yeah, I was gonna say Oh Diane, my gosh. You might like okay, so you, might, you might like Carrie Lowell, but Diane Lane is like yeah. my ten out of ten, like holy crap. Dude. Me too, dude. Diane Lane is top tier. <laughs> yeah, she's I think so, we've like spoken about this one. Willem Dafoe's in it too. Oh my goodness. He's the gracious. he's the heavy. Okay. What were you gonna say, Chris? Now I'm here drooling. I I wanted to I mean I love I love how you guys are fanboying over the, uh, yeah, it's awesome. Um anyway. I'm over here drooling about this. I, I know me. Kevin's get him a get him a bowl. Let him get him a, a pic- bowl. Give him a picture <laughs> of Barbara Stanwyck instead. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's just gonna make it worse. Come on. <laughs> I wanted to give you a fun fact, Ben. That since you love Streets of Fire, um, Pune is in on record in an interview saying that it's a great influence to Down Twisted. But um, Pune made a feature length fanfic sequel to Streets of Fire called Road to Hell. Um, and in that in that interview that he said it was influenced. Um, he also claims that Streets of Fire is his favorite film alongside Johnny Guitar. Um, Pune said that. So I don't. Pune said that. Yeah, yeah so I, I don't know. Pune said that. 
I haven't seen Johnny Guitar. I don't have high hopes that I'm going to like it when I do. But I'll, I'll see it eventually because. Oh, see... you haven't seen Johnny Guitar. I thought you had. Okay. No. Well, it's in my, I was it's in my say... watch list. I keep hearing about Johnny Guitar. I think it's a subversive Western from. You know, is it is it Nicholas Ray? It's Nicholas Ray, but I saw it when I was a teenager. And um, I, of course, I wasn't looking for the subversions or anything like that. And I, I remember sort of liking it. Um, I mean, it's been about 15 years since I saw it, but um, I'd have to say Streets of Fire and Johnny Guitar might be big influences broad with over Pune's career. Um, but it's kind of cool that Pune also made a fanfic equal to Streets of Fire. So I haven't seen Road to Hell, but I'm, I got to see Streets of Fire and then watch Road to Hell. I'm, I'm super intrigued by that. Uh, Streets of Fire we could cover, because uh, honestly... I think it's one of it's no, I don't think so. I know it is. It's one of Walter Hill's best movies. I've seen almost that's like, what I've heard like 10 of them. I mean, some people don't like it because they think it's like, they think it's tonally inconsistent. And I think that's kind of an incorrect read, but okay, it, it's very much a, it's very much a film that I can't really describe until you see it. It's just, it's just got a lot of, it's made in the eighties, but it's got a lot of fifties culture infused into it. And I, that might be Walter Hill's childhood coming through. Cause since yeah, he's born, I think he was born in the forties. So he was mm-hmm. probably a teenager in this, the fifties. So yeah, I, I yeah, really 42. think, I really think actually that'd be great to cover because Everyone's probably covered the oh, frickin- yeah, all the other por- podcasts have covered the Warriors or dri- the Driver or the Warriors, uh, right? Uh, the Long Riders, Hard Times. I think Hard Times is his best film, in my opinion. But uh, a close second. Oh, interesting. Okay, no, a, cl- really. a close third. Because I think w- the Warriors is the second best, and then Streets of Fire is third best. I really think Streets of Fire is is worth checking out, and maybe we'll just cover it. Can you dig it, brother? Can you dig it? Can you All dig right. it? Yeah, Can you down. dig it? I would yeah. be so down. Well, so, so down that, that's yeah. awesome. And I, I agree with I agree with Kevin. Yes, we should totally do that. Um, before we get lost here, I just want to say that the two songs that Pune uh, does a sick needle drops on are Oingo Boingo's Nothing Lasts Forever, which when that came on, I was like, wow can't believe they're using an oingo boingo song you can you can tell it's it's danny elfman's voice um and then the second song oh, was a fine, yeah. young, fine young cannibals electronic elvis presley cover suspicious minds which was also sick so that yeah, um, I, I was that was good that too i was gonna mention yes. that i love yes. that one actually yeah so two i think those are the only two <laughs> songs that that he uses um but he uses them so well and then the rest of the soundtrack is just um, I want to get their names right. Uh, it was by the score was by Berlin Game, which was com- which was made up of two dudes, Eric Alleman and Reinhard Schruger. If I'm saying his name right, it's super Eastern European, so I'm probably killing it. <laughs> um, and those two dudes, you're fine. Um, were inspired by Tangerine Dream, and I think they actually worked alongside Tangerine Dream on Ridley Scott's film Legend, also from the 80s. Um, So there's a lot of 
there's a lot of interesting connections here and the score's killer legend another movie i want to cover i and look it's all coming from pune dude all coming from pune we got we're we're (laughs) stacking up we're stacking up the list from a movie that nobody's ever heard of and then you see all the connections fall into place right You really Speaking do. Of Tangerine Dream, didn't didn't Tangerine Dream work with w- William Friedkin on To Live and Die in L.A.? I think they did the theme for To Live and Die in L.A. Probably. That's I think they. That's did. interesting. I, I think they did. They didn't do the whole score. If if anything, they only did one song, and maybe it was the theme. It's a different composer who did that one. I want. I really want to say. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Oh yeah, I think uh, yeah. That never mind. That was Wang Chung. They they they. Wang did it, Chung. But... That's right. That's yeah, right. That, that, okay, so I, I'm wrong about that. <laughs> Andrean Tream did. I mean, they did a bunch of stuff. You can Sor- sorcerer, uh, thief. They yeah, they did a crap ton of pretty. They nice. did the canon film Shy People, which is a favorite film of mine. Um, mm-hmm. And like Ben oh, said, the, I mean, speaking of canon films, this is a canon film too. Boom! Another connection. Uh Isn't that amazing, guys? If you search, if you search more through film, you're going to make these discoveries about films that you've already seen. You just do a little more searching and then you'll find something. I can't tell you how badly I want this film to be released in... On Blu-ray. Some precious physical media format. Yeah. Good luck with that, because MGM, (laughs) a.k.a. Amazon, now owns it, so... Well, that yeah that could be promising more than not. No, uh, they, have, they have they put it they, they put it on Amazon Prime, so they're probably like, oh, we did our job. <laughs> that's it. Speaking that's of that, that yeah, I want to. Uh, that's like the only I've got there. I wanted to bring that up. The Amazon Prime print is absolutely atrocious because it's pan and scan. It, 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 it's almost like they just took an old VHS and like copied the master. Yeah, yes. Like, yeah, you're not wrong. Like, there's a couple scenes. Actually, there's yeah, more. There's like that's the version I saw. So. There, well, that's the version we all saw, I think. But I, that's probably the only yeah, version that exists. We all saw it, right? Yeah. Um, but oh, there's it a, makes there's, me sad. There's uh, like, there's even, like, te- even, even, even on Paramount, even on Paramount, it was like that. I haven't checked Paramount that one Plus, out yet. I think, didn't one uh, of you guys watch? Oh, okay, no. okay. But there's like ten or fifteen scenes where it's like people are talking and the camera is centered in between the space, the negative space between the two characters and you exactly. see like you see like their foreheads and i'm like what the hell is going on you see yeah. their foreheads and you just see their arms moving or and i think one, maybe three two or three scenes of uh carrie lowell and charles rocket talking so i couldn't yeah i couldn't see them or there's the one scene where uh i forget his name the guy with the blonde hair slick back uh oh yeah Demol- the... Demolis. yes uh Yes, he might have, that's he might have had a first name, but he's like talking to Charles Rocket's character Reno or whatever alias he was going. Tom Matthews. Yeah, um, they're talking and and like the one of the bad guy. Uh, I don't know again the actress, but Damalis Tom Matthews like sidekick woman is like there, and she's talking to him, and she's not even on the screen. And then like in the next spoiler, in like the next ten seconds, he just like shoots her, and he's like. He's like, I wish I could kill you. you know, he's I talking remember to, this. <laughs> he's talking to Charles Rocket's character. He's like, I wish I could kill you, but you know, I just can't, or whatever reason. I'm like, we just like didn't. He, 
You literally shot this girl, and the the scene prior, she wasn't even on the screen, or not the scene, the like the last frame. So, my my my, I'm wondering, which I'm not wondering, it's kind of a fact. These people at Amazon are just putting up these movies, and they're not even combing through them to like make no, sure. And no, you know what? And I've come across uh, movies like this too, where. I've, I've searched the movie and it's like under the wrong title. And I don't know if that's ever happened to you guys. I can't, I can't give an example right now, but well, it's uh, happened to me this, at least this on movie. different occasions. That, that, that did happen with this one. That this, did happen this with movie. this one because I was talking to you guys about, about this. Yeah, oh, that's I, I, right. You, uh, that's yeah, Chris, right. you told me that. It, it was on Amazon Prime, on Prime Video and I searched for I searched for it. I'm like, I'm not being down to it on here. I did a little more research and went on IMDb. Yeah. I found... Uh, that oh, it's under the title "The Treasure of San Lucas." That sounds twisted. That's how they named it on um, uh, on Prime Video. So it took yeah. a while uh, before I figured that. Out. <laughs> it is really like they almost don't care about how they categorize yeah, they stuff, or or it's like we just try to, or it's like they're just trying to pack as many films as possible. You know, whoever's whoever's job it is to like re-record these things. That's, Chris, it's, trying... all it is to them is content. They don't care. Yeah. They don't give yeah, a shit. Yeah. It's not just like a, a lot uh, of things now. Just it, like a it, lot of things nowadays are just content. It it wasn't made in, but it wasn't made past 2010. So they they don't really care unless it's an absolute classic, and that's just unfortunate. Um, you put some respect on Pune's name. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, hey, right? I, Nemesis and Cyborg. Def- and uh, the sorcerer and what's it called? Uh, the sword and the sorcerer. Those three. Those three have definitely gotten the treatment. And other than that, I don't think anything else has. Well, since we're mentioning it, the sword and the sorcerer was Pune's debut film, and it was the. It was basically no, no, it is. It was the only film. It was his biggest hit in the box office, basically. Yeah. Um, Actually, I lied. It, it, I lied. Oh. Alien, something else? No, Alien from L.A. Um, I think got a Vinegar Syndrome release. Release, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm. But I, I'll I'll fact check that. But you yeah, you're right. right you're right. He 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 released this movie, um, The Sword and the Sorcerer, in '82, which was his first one under the studio Sorcerer Productions. So obviously, they felt they they formed that production company just yeah. for the movie i don't know who backed yeah. it financially but that'd be an interesting little tidbit to find out i don't know i know there's a 4k release of that movie uh i wonder if there's any special features on it that could like glean some details on that yeah i i just watched sword and the sorcerer over the summer i don't believe it was the 4k release um and the note i have on the box office I, I, I don't know exactly know how much it made, but it was his biggest money wise. It was his biggest and most successful film. And it was all downhill from there. So um, uh, kind of sad to think of it that way, but um, he still, per- I mean, heck he persevered. Cause I mean, he made movies all the way till the very end. And he was mm-hmm. in his own way. He was a master of, of utilizing budgets. I think um, maybe not, Maybe not for the greatest overall product, but he knew where he wanted uh-huh. to apply the budgets, if that makes sense. Where right, maybe, With maybe the all budget of the, that he that he earned, 
Yeah. And maybe all of that budget yeah. would be mostly used for two really big scenes. And then the rest of the movie we would uh-huh. just basically have no money. Um, I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of the trend of a lot of his uh, weaker films. Like, like cyborg. I just watched a week or two weeks ago. And that movie is basically like two big scenes that look like they have all of the money poured into them. And then there's the rest of the movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of <laughs> JCVD movies though. Th- that's fair also, but um, that can also be applied yeah. to Pune in a sense, even though it is also still accurate to say that he has his own distinct style through, through that. So. By the way, I was right. Vinegar syndrome did have a alien from LA release. Uh, last year, last year, actually. And it's, newly restored and all that jazz, but it's only going for like 23 bucks on Amazon right now. Two left arise before Christmas. Just if you want to know, I really want somebody to pick up this movie. It's never going to happen. (laughs) Guys, we have to make it big. So that way this episode, somebody at some company can hear this episode and they will give this movie the release it deserves. And actually get the motivation to the, Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I can only hope. Well, <laughs> well, let's see. Who knows in the future I, once this uh <laughs> I know. <laughs> once this drops. Uh <laughs> I I do want to say since we're uh Oh boy. not on a particular topic right now that um Courtney Cox has a small cameo in this movie as one of Carrie Lowell's waitress friends at the That's very right. beginning. It's actually hilarious. She's billed like in the middle of the of the cast and she's has like yes. two two minutes of screen time. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. She was the waitress friend that maybe had stars as a waitress. Yeah. Oh, Sorry, I have some I have something in my notes, which not sure if anyone else noticed, but I'm gonna get down and dirty. There are like there are like three or four instances uh, in this movie where there are girls and they're in their outfit and they don't have bras on. Did anyone else oh, notice that? Very very good point. <laughs> so oh, cl- yeah. clearly clearly yeah, yeah. <laughs> clearly that was an eighties thing. Of course. And it went away. Um and it's it coming back. It's coming back. I it's like it's like a all fashion trends, they come in cycles. Yeah. I yeah. I usually don't notice that kind of stuff, but I guess I'm just hypersensitive for some reason. I don't know why. I mean, we're all dudes. And, hey, well, the years, years kind of get to you. Yeah. yeah. It seems like I need to rewatch this movie. I, I did notice. I, I did. Oh, yeah. It'd be a very good reason, right, Ben? Ben, if you Two and Kevin rewatch right? this movie and even slightly improve your ratings, my mission has been a success. I mean, it's already been a success because I got you guys to watch this movie. And I, uh, I would, I would rate yeah, it. Yeah, I, I would say right now, knowing what I know, and hearing your guys' opinions, and knowing, in addition to all that, that the print that I saw was inferior to how it was supposed to be seen, like in theaters. Yeah. I think yeah. I could raise my rating, but I'm gonna need to see that. So I gave you it. A, see that version. 
I gave it a 4.5 out of 10, rounded up on letterbox. It's it's a five, it's a uh, two and a half out of five stars. Um, yep. Uh, are, what are we doing from now on? Are we doing letterbox scores? Or are we going to do out of 10 scores? Let's be consistent. What are we doing? Well, decide, I use, decide I, now I, I, on I the air. Just go with like the star rating on Letterbox. Okay, we're doing star. I, I, I we're go doing with st- the rating on Letterbox. We're doing we'll do Letterbox rating. Star yeah, ratings. Yeah. Okay, I gave it. A, I gave it a four. All right. I guess I gave it a two point two five out of uh, five, which I rounded it up. I I would give it a. Uh, nope, I'm going back. Oh, we're, we're we're going we're we're going out of ten. I'm doing. <laughs> I I would give it a. <laughs> it. I would give it a five point five out of ten. That's easier to say than to do the <laughs> fraction. My math in the head, you know, whatever. Um, oh, five point five. Oh, you're increasing it now. Uh, that's what I would give it if I was able to, without even seeing it. If I knew a two point three five out of to one ratio, um, aspect ratio yeah. version existed, I would give it that. Okay. Okay. I, I, that's, I just that's a fair critique. It's super. It's that. super. Fair enough. It, it's super disappointing that like those we're in the we're in this new era of technology where all these various movies that have haven't been seen in years are getting released on dvd blu-ray whatever streaming and yet we're still getting these movies from the 80s where it's like this stuff was shot in normal like uh anamorphic frames why are we getting the home video version so shit it's 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 crazy to me yeah i mean you're not wrong (laughs) a lot of that stuff there's a lot of there's a pile of stuff from the 70s 80s and 90s um that just exactly what you said before ben they're just ripped from vhs tapes or something and that's the movie that's what we got and sometimes that kind of um that kind of effects if you will maybe adds charm sometimes if you really like your schlock with uh some really bizarre you know i don't even know what you call it just really rough uh really rough looking if you like it that way maybe it adds a little charm for you but um i think a lot of people just get turned off by that because it's like it's just it's not great quality you know um i just i can't say it enough i want this i want this to be re-released in a a gorgeous format and i think (laughs) And I think it wouldn't lose its charm. So maybe we can expect a Criterion release some Chris. Wouldn't I mean, that? <laughs> I I almost kind of think we we could if um, I was kind of yeah. thinking Criterion would because especially Pune's passing, they they exactly. could very well yeah. they could, could very well do that. Chris, don't yeah, hold your and, don't don't hold your uh, breath on that one. I I won't. They but got they a, got they got to release their newest Spike Lee movie or whatever John Waters well, crap and that. Hey, look, look. If they want if yeah. diversity is what they're looking for, right? Albert Pune is one of the very few Hawaiian directors I know of, and this has a strong female lead. So, what more do you want, Criterion? That's very true. <laughs> I mean, yeah, get on it. But has got a very right? strong point there. So. Criterion gonna say one thing out of their left side of their mouth, but do another, say another thing out of the right side of the mouth. Like, it, it, they don't care. They're gonna do whatever popular crap. 
It's disappointing. Well, it's funny because I think they've gone. Criterion does like does like popular, unpopular stuff though. Right now, because <laughs> it's yeah. not really it's not really all that popular. <laughs> but if you know if you know movies, I guess then it's gonna be stuff that you've heard of before. Oh, let's do an experiment. We're gonna go to their newest releasings and uh, see right, what they got. It. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, let's see. Uh, what do you think? If I once I go once I when I go to their new releasings, well, one you could do a what? How many of these movies were released before two thousand? And you'd be surprised that probably half. Well, not half. A quarter of them that were released after two thousand, which is like what the hell. But um, they'll have things like arsenic and old lace, and then at the same time they'll have. Malcolm X by Spike Lee. Like, why is that on the criteria? Yeah, I mean, collection? that's a great point. I mean, I know why it is. It's political and it's the right politics. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that movie, but I'm I'm sure it's. I, I mean, know. it's probably not god awful, but it's probably not amazing. It's probably just like meh, like whatever. Well, like, it's... and what and and what company? What? How was that originally released? <laughs> Malcolm X. What do you mean? I had like a big release. Right? Oh yeah, Spike Lee. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even for the time, at that point in time, that was oh, oh, what yeah. Malcolm X was was a 1990 or 1991 release or something like that. 92. So Spike Lee was already on the scene for a handful of years. Oh, like um, a, de- a decade probably. Well, he didn't really mm-hmm. he didn't explode until Do the Right Thing, and Do the Right Thing was late 80s. That was like which still is probably overrated. Yeah, I haven't seen it in. I- <laughs> I, uh, I haven't. Years. I haven't seen the whole thing. Yeah, I, you know that. I've seen. Cause... I've seen like a twenty-minute. Oh, you've clip, seen part of it. Ben. A clip, but it didn't impress me. I wasn't like, oh my god, oh, this, is the, okay. this is the best okay. thing since Citizen Kane. It, it, it's a. It's it, it's a film. It's just another film. It's another example of a film that uh, friends of mine have told me that I should really watch. It's not just. It's do the right thing in Malcolm X. Malcolm X is also recommended to me by some uh, by someone, and you know, I mean, when it comes to stuff like that i you know i'm not gonna say no i'm not gonna say no i'm will, i'm willing to watch them and uh i'm curious to see what my opinions are but yeah i mean looking it's not back high at, on the list uh, what criterion's releasing i mean it's not high on the list and criterion i, I think I, that's what they're yeah doing they're seriously re- yeah they're releasing films uh that really do they they don't really do they even need a restoration? They released what Parasite, they released Drive My Car, they released Uncut Gems, and these are all new movies that will get a regular Blu-ray release. Oh, what they, is the point of having them? They released the Parasite. They released Parasite within like less on, than yeah, they, less than they, 18 months. Yeah, so it's the same thing with Drive My Car. I mean that's that, to me. With, in no time. Basically. Oh, another one. The Power of the Dog. Why the hell is that getting a release on Criterion within a year of its release? I mean, I we well, I know I know why. Well, to me, to me, it sounds like yes. With some of these more the recent, some of these some of these more recent picks, I think it's a combination of their specific criteria that they have, which you know all all three of us know, and then there's the. Mm-hmm. the fact that they also want to make some money right i mean if these films are popular within the yeah. specific community they they're probably going to want 
something like Parasite in order to be able to fund all the other things that they want to do. Maybe that's a long shot of a reason. But no, actually, that's probably you know, that's probably extremely insightful I mean, I w- compared I to my opinion. It's probably a good. Well, I mean, Ben, I think I don't think you're wrong either, though. Like, there's a there's a diversification quality, if you want to call it that, right? So, I don't think that's wrong. And then, and then you have like any sort of cinephile or like young person who's into movies, they're gonna want to see the big stuff that's come out. So. Parasite's going to make them money if they do their own release. The Power of the Dog, it's something that's, mm-hmm. you know, directed by Jane Campion. She has a following and she does do good work. She does? Uh, maybe that. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe that movie is not great. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Um, I will literally never watch it. <laughs> it's fine. Um, <laughs> but, like, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, like, there's Shepard's uh, I think, words on that. I think there's just two, I think there's just two ways about Shemelia. it, even though I agree with where you're coming from like um, they'll do that and then like a, you know however many years ago they released like a example ugh, not to bring barbara stanwick back up but they released like something abs like the, yeah they released something like i'm the happy Fu- you talk about her man. yeah the fear <laughs> they'll release something like the furies by anthony mann like a, a, a western from like i think it's yeah 1950 and it's like they'll release that and that they'll release this West quote unquote Western from 2021. It's not a Western guy. It's just letting you know, but regardless they'll release that. And yet there's all this <laughs> stuff in between there where it's like, guys, there are so many classic movies that people should be watching that they're not able to. Cause they don't, those releases yeah, don't exist. Like, what are you doing? Um, down twisted mm-hmm. down twisted <laughs> yeah keep keep holding your breath you gotta man breathe it out there you gotta breathe it out there you gotta you gotta breathe it out there into the ether so that they you know people actually listen maybe maybe we will get it because you know i mean criterion's been re- yeah i mean I, I agree with all of you you know it's again like, like as i said before they are released they are making use of these new movies and giving yeah. them restorations, and I say restorations in air quotes because what restorations do these movies need? You know, obviously, yeah. as we said, well, exactly, exactly. I, I am, I'm a cred, I, I like a, a buddy of mine from college got me into Criterion, and he might be listening to this episode right now too, man. But you know, he, the reason why I love Criterion is because they do bring, they bring out the best in old films old films that you would not see or old films that are well regarded and beloved by many people and they need to be restored and revisited by people and that is that's why i love criterion i think they still adhere to that but i think that but i do believe and i i think I, i am in line with uh chris's point of view in regards to releasing something like power of the dog or you know uncut gems or malcolm x there is you know that that mission that we all know we don't need to reiterate and i think in a way there are not cons to it to me there are more cons to it because you know there's so much more opportunities out there and i think it's more important to focus on those and actually bring that out into the world instead of uh you know focusing on these new releases that get so much traction because all critics are talking about it so it, it it's kind of annoying it, it honestly is kind of annoying so 
you know, hey, uh, maybe someday we will get down twisted. <laughs> I don't I'm know. I'm telling you guys. I, I could rant about what Criterion's doing all day, but uh, yeah. Why? Well, hey, let's hey. go. Another hour. <laughs> <laughs> I like right, what the, I really like quickly they... going back to down twisted. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Kevin. I was just gonna say because okay, so I okay, lost you guys for a second, but uh we're going by are we going by Ben's uh ten out of ten rating or are we going with the uh, letterbox scores? Because you I do, just brought up my letterbox score. You do whatever you want. I think I I think I, 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 I brought I think it's I think out of ten ratings, just easier for everyone to be kind of normalized. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, out of well, out of five, initially I had two and a half out of five, so, but now I brought it up to three out of five. After us talking about it, after very uh, nice, bringing out our and listening to Chris uh, go on about how she loves it, but three, you know, th- there. Uh, the way the way I do it on Letterbox is, uh, you know, there are either a good three stars or a or a bad three stars, and Down Twisted is in the good three star uh, realm. And who knows? Maybe eventually, if I you know, give it another, another uh, if I give it a rewatch, that can go up too. So exactly, and I think I think for so both three you and, and Ben, three, three, uh, three, yeah, three. Uh huh. Sorry, Kevin. I was just gonna say that I think for you and Ben. Um, if you guys were to see more, I don't know if you were to, if you were to see more pune. Your I don't know if your rating would increase retrospectively. Um, I think it's more of a, I think it's more of a what we were defining or calling schlock before. If you like these kind of low budget, you know, if you're into low budget stuff, or maybe even if you're not into it, but if you see more of it, I think, I think you might be able to see how Pune highlights some things better. Like you, you'd be able to see his natural talent. If that makes sense, it, it, it would stick out more mm-hmm. from the bunch. No, I right. Agree. Um, so I, that would be interesting to it, see yeah, how, totally, that, how that would change totally with context. Good. I think, uh, I, I do think like, uh, like for example, vicious lips, like what we, yeah. <laughs> no, go ahead. You, what were you gonna say about vicious lips? Like what we mentioned, yeah, what we mentioned before, Chris, about vicious, vicious lips and uh, other pune. Uh, yeah, no, I was gonna say that you know, I, I think even me watching more pune, low budget, uh, schlocky movies would all, it might it, it may help out with uh, the way I perceive Down Twisted in in the long run. But uh, really, going back to the score, three out of five. What of six out of ten? That's about a six. That's a six out of ten. I I would say for all you IMDb users, yeah, 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 and right. uh, going going off of <laughs> so Kevin's it, so, rating, yeah, it's a six out of ten. Going off of Kevin's rating, my rating, I gave it eight eight out of ten or four out of five stars, depending on what your rating system is. Um, I love this movie, and I could very well see myself increasing this on a rewatch. Um, really? I I also yeah I really I really think so. Oh, and I he's think, gonna be up to ten think, out of ten. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I don't know, man. I I I really the article I shared with you guys, and I want to let our listeners know that there's a brilliant uh-huh. article by a fella named James Kenny. Um, I believe he wrote it last year in 2021, 
and uh, it's on the website. I think it's his own website called tremblesiwonder.com. And I think it's just a blog or a review site. I don't know how popular it is. I'll, I'll post um, it. I'll post it in the description of the episode. That's perfect, Ben. That's yeah. perfect. I think it's a wonderfully written article. Um, he highlights everything that Hune does excellently in this movie. And he goes into depth about all of the inspiration that we've already mentioned, Walter Hill's Streets of Fire, um, and how, where Pune is getting his influence from and where, where he wants to take the movie as a genre piece. Um, so I just wanted to highlight James Kenny's piece. I think it's brilliant. Um, and it, it really reinforced my love for the movie even after I gave it four stars. Um, I think it adds some good, I think it adds some good context. So I just want to throw that out there. Um, for our listeners that I wanted to, I did. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, I was reading, I, I had no time, but I wanted to read that article in full before we started this episode. I wasn't able to, but I, from what I had read, I think it really is a good supplement to, uh, Albert Pune's work and particularly down twisted. So I would highly recommend uh, the article as well. I mean, in fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish it uh, when, once we're done. After, I yeah, you to totally should. Though, what? Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, I have to ask both of you though. What is your favorite scene out of this? Out of Down Twisted, I have mine, and I feel like it might be one. I I could be wrong, but it, I, it could be that Chris likes too. But. Anyways, yeah. Share, What's hey, Kevin, Kevin, uh, sh- share, share, yeah. share yours yeah. first. Share mine first? Yeah. Okay. He asked the question. Okay. You're going to have him share the so, scene first. Yep. Okay. Right in his face. Yeah. Wow. Look at that. Right. Just turns it I right know. on me. Okay. Okay. Fine. I'll go first. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Shit. Okay. Anyway, um, I could, I could really pretty much say, okay, this, I wouldn't say this is my favorite scene, but any, any scene with Charles Rocket is really fantastic, and I could name any one of his scenes to be my favorite. To be my favorite, but I would have to say that my favorite scene out of this entire film was when Maxine, played by Carrie Lowell, and Michelle, played by the beautiful actress that we also spoke about, Trudy, Trudy Doctor, Trudy Doctor, right? It's either, I, it was I, the think scene, it's, I, yeah. I think. Whatever. I was just gonna say. I think her last name is the the way Chris said it before was Doderman. I think that was probably Doderman. Right. Do- Doderman. Th- what Doderman. It, it could be Doderman. Yeah, it could be Doderman. Could be Doderman. Tomato, tomato. Anyway, it's the scene. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's the scene between Carrie and Trudy. It's when uh, so Trudy again plays Michelle. It's when it's when she picks up Maxine and then they drive to that abandoned parking structure while the bikers are right behind them. And then they start yes. yelling at each other. Maxine's like, drive Michelle. And Michelle's just nonchalantly. Just, We're already here. Maxine's Maxine goes drive. Michelle goes, I can't. And I thought we were friends. We're roommates. And then it just keeps going. Yes. Is <laughs> yeah. just, you know, in terms of, see, look, there's a thing here. I don't know. I don't know who said it. I forgot who said it, but someone, an actor, uh, someone just said the quote, actors are only as good as their writers. And, you know, that can be true, not always. Um, but when it comes to this idea that, uh, uh, hang on a second, guys. Sorry, there's like some noise going on. But okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, 
yeah, there's that quote, actors are good are only as good as their writers. But when it comes to uh, dialogue, I think a movie star or a great actor can make dialogue, even bad dialogue, sound memorable. Or they can deliver the, the written word in a way that, that can mask its atrocity. Uh, when it comes to this, uh, this uh, idea of schlockiness, I think, you know, the, like, just the horror diction and syntax that's delivered by the actor creates a sort of hamminess, and you see you appreciate the uh, the mixture of hamminess and, uh, I don't know, I, I it's hard to explain, but it's just lovable to me. It's just really lovable. Yeah. And that entire scene between them is just so hammy and lovable. Like, I can't hate it. Like, I, it's just something of enjoyment to me. And, uh, that is like kind love... of the art of schlock. It's just, deli- it's deliberate. It's just so deliberate. <laughs> I love Lowell's line where she, it's like the final punchline to that whole argument. And she yells Weppo yes. once. I think you, yeah. and, you and I highlighted it in our reviews. I did it. Um, Wait, what, exactly. What'd you say? I didn't want to say. I don't. I was gonna say. I didn't want to say it. I wanted you to say it, Chris. <laughs> what, did, what did she yeah. say, Chris? <laughs> she. The line is lepo ones. What What does and, that mean? I. I'm literally a noob. I don't know what that means. No, 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 it's fine. So, like, she's arguing with her roommate about drawing her in to making this deal or whatever. <laughs> right, right, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, it's. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's right. That's right. And it's it's just she's just insulting her. So like lepo is just like a it's just a word. I mean, as far as I know, it's just a word that means like stinky or has like a really bad smell. So did that, you, that's all. The did word you means. look it up on an Urban Dictionary? I did not. No, no. I that's that's as far I, as I know I it. No. Um. And yeah, she's just that, insulting her. So, right. like, so yeah. she's just like, so she's just like arguing about the situation and drawing her into making a drug deal. And the way that Lowell delivers the line is fantastic. Um, but the whole insult to the argument mm-hmm. in the punchline is basically just calling her like a, like a stinky face. I don't even, yeah, I don't even exactly. know. It's just, yeah. it's a, it's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> It's so funny. It's just so funny. Yeah. Just like the way, just like how the way she hams it up. The way she just knocks it like it's like an out of ten delivery, and <laughs> just the it way is a ten out of ten delivery. Says, yeah. Ones. yeah, it's just so funny. It's just incredibly funny. And really quickly, just going back to what I was saying about uh, you know actors are only as good as theirs. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's just really interesting when you look at horrible dialogue and spoken forth by incredibly uh, melodramatic acting. It results in what I wanted to say earlier. It results in a marriage that might be more. I write the, write about this in Letterbox too, but it yeah. kind of results in a marriage between performance and writing that's actually more trusted and more substantive than a regular marriage among Hollywood's elite. I just wanted to say that anyway. Very good. It's something that's just hard to explain. It's so, it's so difficult to explain. It's just so yeah. enjoyable. It's so difficult to explain. I don't know why, but you know, that's that's kind of the art of of film. You can't there are things in which it's hard to communicate or translate into words, into proper vernacular. 
it's an emotional medium and then you just kind of feel it you take it in and it works so really the way this would make sense if you actually watch the film you might not perceive it that way but right you know maybe you'll get you 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 can kind of get a gist of what i'm trying to say here so anyway yeah that was what i wanted to say that is my favorite scene out of the entire film i could i could even name um uh charles rockets uh probably one of his final scenes probably one of the final moments that him and carrie lowell that him and maxine reno and maxine they're in mexico for a time and i think shortly before uh they go their separate ways um uh charles rocket says something cool and then puts on sunglasses and leaves the room and you see him walk out into the streets and there's something i had to rewind i had to go back watching that scene maybe two or three times because i just thought it was so the way he played it, it was just so cool, but it was so, it was so funny. It was serious, but it was also funny. And the way it was, yeah. I don't know. I I don't know. See, th- this is a film in which I just don't really have the right words. I'm sorry. I have the right words. All I can do is explain the way I feel about it and how I did feel about it when I watched it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great I moment. Have words to describe it after that's a- I get a rewatch and a better school. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, do you know That's what I'm talking great... about, Chris? I do. I totally know what you mean. Um, you know exactly that is a what great... I'm talking about, right? Yes. Yes. It's a... Yeah. That's a great little moment that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, if I if I had to pick... But anyways, yeah. After Ben uh, pick... threw that question, my... yeah. <laughs> Just threw it right back at you. It wasn't even like, yeah, there's after no ben beat threw to that... it. Exactly. Right after you threw that question right You like face, playing tennis, so... don't you, boy? <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. Ben. Your turn. I, I was gonna go, but Ben, you, you go ahead. Anyways, your what are, what, yeah, Sorry, what are, yeah, Ben. It's your turn now. I've been scarfing down cookies that my wife just gave to me. It's pretty good. Oh man, Kevin, don't be jealous, Damn it, Ben. You and the cookies. You and the cookies. All right. Um, uh, I. It's in my life. <laughs> Kevin, don't be too jealous. Um. Favorite a favorite a favorite scene for me I it's kind of hard to pick out but I kind of like that one scene in the middle part where Maxine and I keep forgetting his name I think it's Reno Re- Charles Reno, Charles Reno. Reno. yeah they're in some kind of like cafe slash bar and it's like really pastelly colors like maybe mangoey orange and like green it's like it yeah. just it just looks like South America or like the Caribbean or whatever. Yeah. And like the the uh the the they find out the military's coming, right? Yes. And he I think he like takes the bartender and like throws her in the a closet or something, right? Yeah, right? he throws Am her I... across across the room. Okay, into yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, I just I just really cracked up at that scene. It just reminded me of uh I've been, you know, been to the Bahamas and uh I went to my honey oh my honeymoon I went to St. Lucia. It just reminded me like nice. kind of like it, 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 yeah. It kind of just made me feel like somewhere I've already been. And for some reason I just that's really memorable to me. And also, I will pivot and say the end scene right when they're they have all the money. Yes. And they're like going into the bathroom and 
Yes. <laughs> and and uh, Reno's trying to figure out what to do, and and Maxine, Carrie Lowell, Maxine's saying, yeah. you know, what are you gonna do? He's like, oh, I'm just gonna improvise, and he's and he's like, I'm I got a hostage, and all the other. <laughs> They're like there's like yeah. 40, 40 military guys come in and, and just like stick their guns Point right gun. up to his face. And he's like, oh, okay. Like he just like gives it. He gives up so yeah. quick. It's hilarious. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That part's great. And immediately following that, um, they, I think they end up in the bathroom again, or maybe that all does happen in the bathroom. And then all the army guys leave. The bathroom, yeah. Yeah. And all the army guys leave with the briefcase of money. And then um, Maxine's left by herself. And there's a really wonderful moment where she gets to put on the sunglasses and looks right at the camera and smiles. Um, I, I love that moment because it's like uh, her transformation from being who she was in the beginning to how she becomes part of the uh, heist, or I don't even know, you don't want to call it a heist, but she she becomes what, reno is i guess i mean she has a transformation and that moment i think punctuates it Definitely. so yeah 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 i i think it's a wonderful little moment i was going to mention so i love both the scenes you guys mentioned um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i don't think there's a specific moment that i additionally want to list as a favorite but i i have to give a shout out to all of the scenes during the festival that happened um those, those the fire, they were good looking with the fireworks going off yeah like they just look great like it's like steamy and smoky and there's a lot of colors and there's a ton of people in the crowd and mm-hmm. those scenes reminded me a lot of um i don't know how many michael chimino scene, uh, films you guys have seen um oh, he's another director that's kind of in my blind he did he did heaven's dude, gate yeah. is that right chris that's yeah. correct that's a, movie that you, that's a movie that you love a lot and you, you've got a personal connection to that movie i believe that's, if i remember correctly that is, yes yeah that is that, that's that is actually going back to criterion one of my uh one of my next plans to buy so uh bye I've only seen Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, which I like. You know, Clint Eastwood can't that's, go wrong. That's Eastwood and Jeff Bridges, right? Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Yes. Have, have you yeah, seen yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Have you seen it, Kevin? No, not yet. It's in my it's in my watch list too. And, Kevin, uh, I, I really want. I know. I know. I yeah. Oh. You know that I would like it, right? <laughs> the good news is Chimino has a really small filmography, so if you get into him, he only has eight films that he ever directed. Um, it's short and sweet, but I think they're all very powerful. Um, yeah, like he doesn't really have a bad film out of the bunch, in my opinion. Um, and the one that usually gets the most shla- uh, shellacking is Heaven's Gate. Um, I thought you were. I thought you were. I thought you were going to say shellacking. Shellacking, yeah. <laughs> the, the biggest shellacking. That- I mean, Heaven's Gate gets a big bat. You know, it gets a huge bad rap because of it was like over budget and bloated and yes the the cuts were there's some kind of debacle with like the director's cut versus the studio cut and it, there's a whole thing where it's oh, nothing nothing went okay. right it's one of those movies where where nothing went right and i yes. i feel like i've never seen it but i feel like the reputation with people you know between 
cinephiles between like 20 and 40 years old is like it's actually pretty good it's just it got a really bad rap that's what that's it all got a really I, bad rap on release that's yeah. all i know and, about I mean, it yeah yeah you just have to watch and make form an opinion for yourself like everything else but um anyway i wasn't trying to get sidetracked i my point of mentioning chimino was a lot of the festival scenes remind me of his film day of the dragon um oh, which is which is another phenomenal film with Mickey Rourke in the lead. Um, ah, Mickey Rourke. Has, he, he, uh, he used him yeah. multiple times, right? He used him twice in Day De- of the Dragon Des- and, and the De- remake for Desperate Hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Mickey Rourke's the lead in both. Um, but Day of the Dragon has a like exotic uh, slant to it, and that's what the festival scenes in down twisted remind me of so you mean um, you mean year of the dragon right i'm sorry i'm calling day of the dragon year of the dragon thank you thank same, you. same difference same a, difference a, a, but day, a day a year time goes fast uh man sorry everybody no you're fine <laughs> oh dude I, yeah. I, literally, I literally uh talk out of my my butt way more than you 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 sound professional compared to me i mess up all the time so don't worry about oh, it shucks. oh shucks. thanks hey, i i really want to go back uh quickly to uh favorite scenes so i named uh well i guess i kind of named more than one favorite scene uh but you don't, so, did, yeah. so did i so just keep yeah whatever, yeah man. yeah yeah but i mean i really want to point this one out it's that um okay so uh Carrie Lowell's Maxine is she's she just finished her first part of that interview process in order to get that job. And uh towards the end, one of the one of the interviewers uh basically gives he well not ba- he gives her his card and says, you know, we could continue this and how about he basically asks her out. And it's like, you know, it's it's inappropriate, it's unprofessional, of of yeah. course. And but like you know, after he goes, like he talks to her for like a minute or two, and says, you know, how about we how about we go out and have lunch? And then right after that, you see Carrie Lowell look at the camera. She gives the camera the Jim Halpert look, and then it cuts from that scene to the next scene. And it's just like right when that happened, I was like, oh wait, did she just give the Jim Halpert look? And I had to rewind. I was like, oh, this is so funny. And probably it's the only. I think it's the only uh, scene out of the entire film in which the fourth wall has been broken but i just didn't see that coming and i thought that was hilarious yes <laughs> that's, that's a fantastic I, I want, thing to highlight i, I want to bring that up yeah i have yeah. no At idea first, what, what i don't know what the context is there but i yeah. did note i did notice that as well and you did yeah <laughs> obviously 80s versus now that would not happen yeah. now that would not happen at all no it wouldn't happen at all well, what specifically, I, pre- I appreciated that moment. what specifically do you mean what, like what part of that wouldn't happen now like the whole thing a a dude would would not ask an interview. Uh, someone at a company would not ask someone someone who just interviewed for that a job position out. That was okay. Smart. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. I see yeah, what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That would be uh, a big no no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that now, the, those scenes. Yeah. See, now I'm liking the film even more. Look at that. I love this. <laughs> this is great, Kevin. I like it. Well, we'll by the end of the night, by the end of this uh, podcast, you're going to be at four stars with me. We'll um, see. I don't know. <laughs> uh, all right, so, I literally so, think I, I could go up to three and a half. <laughs> I, I think this movie, <laughs> I would, crazy. I would really like it a lot more. And when I say a lot more, it's relative. I would like it a couple 
points more on my rating if I was able to see a version that was just a real version. Like that, that's, I, I don't uh, yeah, like the VHS bullshit. I just don't like it. I mean, Ben, that's a totally fair point. I'm a little more forgiving in that sense when I and when I watch this kind of stuff. Um, and like I said before, it really depends on if it adds any sort of charm for you, or if it doesn't, or if you're indifferent about it. It really depends on where you lie, and for you, it so, matters. So here, so that's you know, so here, that's cool. so here, so here's where it is for me. I've, you know, all of us are around the same age. When we yes. grew up, like the jump to from VHS to DVD was astounding. And right. now yes. the, the DVD jump to Blu-ray jump, jump uh, sorry, yeah, the DVD, the jump from DVD to Blu-ray is, I think, like, it's another factor of magnitude. It's, it's just crazy how crisp these, right. if you're watching a movie from the 50s on Blu-ray and they did it properly, it looks like a movie, you know, if it's in black and white, whatever. Mate, if it was in color, it would look like a movie from the eighties. It's pretty crazy. Right. Yeah. But I yeah. just watched a movie today, Shanghai Joe or the Fist of Shanghai Joe from nineteen seventy three, whatever. Just got it in the mail today, watched it already. And there's one scene there where it's a Blu-ray. I'm watching it. It's the finale, and there's clear instances multiple times where you can see the wires on characters where they're when they're like in the air, you can see the wires and it's like, does the Blu-ray enhance my experience? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like 90% of the time it, it does. And then there's a 10% of the time where it's like, I really don't need that extra detail. Cause it's just ruining the, that sus- is hilarious. The suspension of disbelief yeah. is ruined. You just reminded me Ben, because I, I, I what was it last year? Uh, this is like during, maybe not, la- not last year, but, uh, during the pandemic, when I was basically stuck in my room with COVID, and all I could do was watch, uh, record as much as I can, and watch as much as I can on TCM. And uh, one of the films that I saw was Adam's Rib, starring, it was another vehicle starring Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. And, you know, a lot of the black and white films are also restored for TCM. And there's a scene where Spencer Tracy is lifted up into the air, but you can see the wires, you can see the wires attached to him. And it, it's just so funny to watch. So yeah, I just wanted to wanted to continue on that uh, that little uh, fact that you brought up, where you did see uh, the wires. So does restoration kind of enhance the does it enhance the experience? I mean, it depends on the movie. But I will exactly. say, for Down Twisted or The Treasure of San Lucas, it did not have that effect. Luckily, no. but I oh, yeah. a DVD quality, a 720p quality would. Uh, print would be nice to see just to reevaluate right um the right aspect ratio of course so you know i don't think you're wrong and you have yeah i again i don't think you're wrong and it matters differently for everybody so for you i don't you know it matters a little bit more i guess that's all or i don't know because i i would love it more too if it looked nicer so I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that just makes me. A, maybe that just makes oh, me a kinder, greater Let, critic. I don't hope, know. Let's hope someone hears us and they could actually do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so, let's see what happens. I want to mention to uh, highlight another part of the movie because something that totally never happens in movies ever is uh, maybe it was just an '80s thing. 
and I don't even I couldn't even tell you the last eighties movie I saw this in. But when you get to the end of the movie, there is a sick montage of all of the characters throughout the film, you know, going character by character, doing like their little scenes. And I love it. Did you guys feel any did you guys feel any different way about that? I mean, the movie wasn't even over. So like they did the montage after after Carrie Lowell comes out of the red car and picks up Charles Rocket out of the chain gang. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh And and I think that happens. Maybe that's after, actually. I can't remember what part it happens after. Hmm. And. And it breaks the narrative to show us a montage of all the characters like we had a really fun time with all these people and we're like reliving all the cool moments. And then. And then after the montage is over with like the top five or six characters. The last scene or two scenes of the movie happen. Isn't that interesting? Oh, did you you guys not notice that? Uh. We'd have I, to go back and uh, it's yeah, been like, I'm gonna have to go back. I'm gonna have to go back. You're gonna, and, you're gonna have to go back watch and watch that, that because I've watched know, like I've watched five movies since then. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, literally, yeah. No. They literally do a character <laughs> montage of of Maxine, of Reno, of Demolis, uh Tom Matthews character. That's yeah. how you pronounce his name. Um Trudy Doderman has a little uh-huh. montage as Michelle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the bad guy, which mm-hmm. I can't remember that actor's name, and the evil blonde, or the one who's supposed to be evil. I think all of them get like their own little series little of um, yeah, a little montage, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. the movie ends after the montage. <laughs> that is so interesting. I thought, okay, that's I something thought, I need to look at again. Yeah, yeah, you guys, you guys <laughs> need, should totally I need to, go back I need to watch that again. You guys should totally go back and watch it because I thought it was super unique. And um, I just fact checked really... you, Chris. Okay, go ahead. Am I right wrong? after? Right after they go to the yacht, that montage happens, and then the credits happen. Oh, okay, so there so wasn't a scene after the, that. The suspicious minds cover is happening during the montage, and then yeah. it rolls into the credits, and then okay, there's a, okay, and then there's a okay. n- new song, but. That suspicious minds cover is freaking sick. Like it's so good. Uh, Fine young cannibal, cannibals. They it. did. If you guys aren't familiar with them, they were the ones who did the "She Drives Me Crazy." Whoop, whoop. <laughs> yeah, I don't even want to try to sing because I'd kill it. She drives me crazy. Yeah. No. Exactly. All right. It's it's no longer the searchers. It's the singers. Sorry. <laughs> Find Young Cannibals. We'll just take the name of the band. No, no. Yeah, All let's right. do that. No. <laughs> All right. Before we go, do you, okay. When they're flying from LA, or when there's any like map change in the movie. Oh, yes. There's this is like, great. The, there are these oh, cuts yeah. where like you see a map on the screen. Did yes. that, so that reminded me. Uh, do you guys, did you guys ever watch those eyewitness videos on like sharks yeah. or what? I get it. That just reminded yeah. me of, of like one of those eyewitness whatever. I don't know if that was PBS or what. 
whatever station that was on, but there was eyewitness books, like as kids, like the picture books you flip through that are like educational. They had videos yeah. to go along with them. Like that, that little map when it's like, oh, we're flying from LA to, to San Lucas, which is some, it was obviously a fake, <laughs> fake a South American country. I was just yeah. like, I was like, whoa, this is That's super. Just that it was it was that era. It's that that vibe from like the late eighties, early nineties, like gra- graphic design era. It was hilarious. I mean, but that's a perfect example of of like a great use of budget. I mean, maybe it doesn't, maybe it's not the the best way to depict it, but um, and maybe maybe it is a little jarring too if it's not flow if it doesn't flow right in the movie. But I thought that was great. Like it gets the point across, and I'm sure that was way more cost effective than it. In fact, it is way more cost effective than shooting a scene in a plane, right? I think they did have yeah. a plane. I think they did have a plane. They- a plane maybe a plane in one scene. scene. That's what I was. Probably, that's what I was trying to theme. think of. Yeah, but um, they had, they had they had the map thing at least twice. But that's <laughs> regardless. Yeah. I just I'm gonna summarize it here. I had fun. I like Albert Pune movies. Carrie Lowell's great. The Charles Rocket. I really enjoyed his character. I mean, again, when I say enjoyed, like I didn't dislike it. And now that I'm thinking back on it, I'm like, wow, that was actually really good. Yeah. But my one, my one, my one extreme critique on the film is we have this 15 to 20 minute intro uh, set piece or, act or whatever you want to call it and it's all just like night scenes dark gritty it looks like a noir it it it, whatever all that kind of vibe boom we're gonna we're going somewhere different now we're it's like man of it's like the man from rio like we're in brazil or whatever south american i think it was filmed in mexico but whatever south american country it's supposed to represent it's just like super colorful it's vibrant it's there's all this stuff going on and I'm like, this is just the tone visually. And I think the tone, I think that's what threw me off on my first watch. I think a second watch now that we've talked through it, I might like it a lot more just from, again, I've said that multiple times, but I think I would like it more now that I know what's going on. And the plot's a little heavy. If you're not paying attention, like get your phone and throw it away when you're watching this movie. Cause you can't look at your phone and and know what's going on. If it was this movie, Like you have to pay attention to to really get it, but I just think those tonal differences where it, it's not like a tweak, it's like a straight up whiplash, like dark. Yes. Now it's oh, it's it's colorful rainbows on the screen. There we got reds and greens and blues. Well, and I think I, what you're highlighting there, Ben, though, is that is what Pune was all about with his genre, utilizing his genres. I, I think that James Kenny's article is quite excellent in how it and how it explains all of that where he's saying it's like a it's like a comic book it's like a comic noir is how he described it. I think that's his exact words. Mm-hmm. And in comics you kind of have these jarring tonal shifts where something might be dark in one panel and then it kind of goes to like vibrant exotic locales in the next. And I appreciated that point of view because that's very much what the movie is. And if Pune 
and it very much sounds like Pune was active and intentful when he was filming the movie. So like, I think his vision was completely intact um, as far as doing all those tonal things that, that were going on. Um, did that make sense? I, I, I cause no, I when I read the article, sense. I, I think, I don't think that's giving him too much credit. I think that's exactly defining that's what he wants. Yeah, that's exactly. His, that, that was his style. It was deliberate. Yeah, and, and I could kind of see that. I think that, that just goes back to what I was saying about like everything here is actually quite deliberate. And I, th- I thought it worked. But your best argument, Ben, which I totally, I don't think you're wrong. It's, it's the film quality, right? So I think you can objectively knock the film quality for it. Also, subjectively give it a little credit if it provides any sort of weird charm for you not saying you specifically ben just the royal you um both those things can be true at the same time and then also pune's vision could could remain intact um but again i think you're i think you're also right and kevin said this a bunch of times too where because the plot's heavy um I think the movie will benefit from a rewatch. A rewatch, um, and it's, and a, a rewatch, and a remaster. God damn it! A rewatch, exactly, exactly. And the cool thing about these kind of movies, these genre pieces, um, I think they have a great rewatchability to them. So it works. Yep, that's definitely. my pitch. Definitely. I agree. agree. All right. One last thing before we close out. This is a Canon picture or a Canon group film or whatever they were going by at the time. What was it? It was a Canon. Canon Canon group and Golan Globus, whatever. Golan Globus. Yeah. That's, that's the one I was trying to think of. Off the top of your heads. Do you have like favorite Canon films or, or Golden Globus films that you're like, yeah, those are the. That's I do. The top, that's the top. I shit. know what I. I know what I'm gonna say. All right, Kevin, you go. You know what you're gonna say. Okay, it's gonna be Bloodsport with John Claude Van Damme. Okay. Really, okay, that, really. Uh, that's my. I, I think I'm looking at Cannon's uh, filmography right now, and that would be my top one. Uh, I I can name a few others, but I I haven't one I haven't seen in a long time. The other okay. I've only seen part of. And the one that I hadn't seen in a long time was the uh, really shitty Superman Four uh, Quest for Peace, and that had. Okay. Uh, I, I will uh, not yeah, be yeah, seeing yeah. that. No, 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 no. That was like that. That was the last one. That was Christopher Reeve trying to save the franchise after three happened. And then the other one is Runaway Train, which I haven't seen yes. in, in a long time. But that's, you that's, were going to say that, Chris. That was, was that was gonna be your pick. Train. See, okay. See, I really need to. I really need to watch that one in full because I know that I saw some of that as a kid. That I think is one of my dad's favorites. Um, you want? But I well, really it's so funny you say that, that, Kevin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, What's no, up? Because because the way that not only I described the movie, but other people have uh-huh. described Runaway Twin Runaway Train is it is bona fide dad cinema, and it's I think dad there cinema, is right? <laughs> it, it is dad cinema. It is the it is it's probably the most apt film to be called that honestly um, oh boy i, I, I need to watch I really this thing you, man after you after you watch the movie yeah, it's it's total uh-huh. dad cinema john voight and 
Eric John Eric Voight. Roberts. And, oh, see, that's oh total God. dad cinema. It's total dad yeah, cinema. Yeah. Rebecca, Eric Rebecca Roberts is hammy. Eric Roberts really hams it up, but like, yeah, he, yeah. Actually, he was Oscar nominated, I think, for that role. Um, oh, okay. It's yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's like oh, a tour boy. de force. It's intense. It's it's a little over the top. Mm-hmm, I loved mm-hmm. it, but um, oh, I had a yeah, second. I, I had a second film also, um, oh. which we might have mentioned. I might have already mentioned tonight. Shy People, I believe, is yep. also a canon film. Yeah, um, Runaway Train. It. And shy people are my top two for sure from canon. Um, I highly recommend both. Uh, Shy people stars Barbara Hershey and Jill Claiborne and Martha Plimpton and Don Swayze and Pruitt Taylor Vince. Um, Or Vince Taylor Pruitt. Did I get his name? I literally don't know who those people are. (laughs) You don't know. You don't know any of those people. Bro, uh, Don I know, Swayze. I know Bar- <laughs> Barbara Hershey and yeah, Barbara Hershey. The, the last Clayberg. the two or three last people you said, I'm like, who are those? Who are those people? Don Swayze, <laughs> dude, brother of Patrick. Patrick Swayze is already like, you can't see me, but he's here in my book. His brother is like a five feet difference on the po- <laughs> on the totem pole. Like, who's that guy? Well, you can see the resemblance. That, that'd be like, like Robert Mitchum's son, Chris Mitchum, being like, "Hey, like I'm kind of like my bro, my dad." Like, no, you're not. You're way down here, dude. Uh, I don't well, even... the funny thing is, Don Swayze totally does not have the handsome face that his brother has. Don Swayze <laughs> has like a. It looks like he got like hit by a van multiple times, and you know really? he's got a very. He's got a very road hard looking face. I'm looking this up right now. Yeah. 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 You totally have to. Yeah. I, um, I don't, I mean, you could see a family resemblance, but it's, it's like Don has all of the, he's like a bizarro version of, of Patrick Swayze. Holy shit. Patrick Swayze's. <laughs> yeah. I am I, am I right? Yeah. Am You're I right. right. He You're just right. looks yeah, like, right. he, he looks like the skinny, he's like the evil twin, the squ- the skinny, like, nerdy not nerdy like the skinny dweeby like on meth he's ah, yeah on drugs but not i don't think he's i don't think he's on drugs i think he just looks like he is that's what i mean that's what i mean i'm just talking about all right here we here's the best way to describe it he has wrinkles in all the wrong places that's perfect yeah yeah that's 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 a good way to describe him yeah don swayze pat brother of patrick Yes. All right. He he looked much better forty years ago. Now he looks pretty bad. Well, yes, that's true. Also, but if you compare Don Swayze of the '80s to Patrick Swayze of the '80s, you're still going to get a pretty big difference. Stark okay, difference is a very big so difference. Yeah. I'm going to answer my own question, and then we're getting the fuck out of here because it's been two hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right, two hour mark. All right, Canon Films Blood Sport is the best that I've seen. Wow, kick- two oh, blood sport votes with you go, a yeah. very close second kickboxer, which I love it. And drunk, I... a drunk John Vlad, John Vlad. Oh my god, I can't say it. John Claude Van Damme, <laughs> him dancing drunk in that one scene. Everyone's like, "It's so cringe. It's so bad." I'm like, "No, that shit's freaking badass. It's awesome." Like you, if you yeah. haven't seen it, you need to see it. Kickboxer, I was haven't canon. seen. I love kickboxing I seen... too. 
Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen either of those JCVD films. I'm, oh, you've never I've seen, seen Bloodsport? Uh, yeah, no, no. Dude, Chris, well, you got to watch that one. You got to watch right, that one. All right, all right, all right. I could be, I could be, too. hold on. I could be confusing that with another JCVD film, but um, I have seen a handful of want, those films. You don't want to, you haven't seen it. You, you have, yeah, okay. I looked it up. <laughs> uh, on Letterboxd, I don't have, you don't I don't have, have a rating, right? Come on, yeah, man. Yeah, you want to say his name, Jean Claude Van Damme. Be like Jean Claude Van Damme. <laughs> verbal diarrhea like me. Like, blah, 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 blah. I can't <laughs> say it. Um, now, those two are the best, but I highly recommend a film that both of you have not seen, because I know Which you haven't is. seen it. Directed by J. Lee Thompson, 1983. It is 10, 10 to Midnight, starring Charles Bronson, and it is like a cop movie slash giallo movie slash horror movie merged into one. I think, Chris, it's right up your freaking alley, man. Oh boy. It sounds like a dude. And I think I've heard about that one. Someone no, like, that movie is actually it's not a horror movie with like the tropey like jump scares and yeah. all that shit. It's like a it's actually it like gothic like, horror. I don't know what that means. Gothic horror. What's that mean? Gothic horror elements like um yeah, like a, uh give me a movie. Well, if you go if you go way back, something like the silent film, the horse horrors of the silent film era, like Nosferatu or like the cabinet. No, 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 no. This is like a straight up like a giallo, but from like a it's not a jump scare kind of view, but it's like a third person kind of view. Like you're not one of the people getting stabbed or you're not the actual killer. But okay, it's, okay. it's like it's framed kind of it's just a very it's actually a disturbing when when the guy's doing his thing, it's disturbing. And like very nice. not, okay. Okay. not in a scary way, in a disturbing way. Like it's it's like I am actually right. kind of you're not scared because someone made you like react to something. You're scared because you're like someone could actually do this in real life. And it's fucked oh, up. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And it's like okay. Highly recommended, and the best part, it's on Tubi right now for free. Very nice, and it's a Bronson flick. Down yeah. Bronson, all about it. I've seen a lot. Twenty one. <laughs> Let's keep going. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to forty. Oh boy. Yeah, it's a high Bronson count. High Bronson count. <clears throat> uh, it doesn't. A lot of the movies he's in, he's like a. A lot of movies I've seen with him he, that he's in, he's like a you know fifth build. Like he actually played, not that this is re- related to Albert Pune at all, but he actually played an Indian uh, character a lot in westerns in like the fifties when he was young. I didn't know that. Right. Yeah. Right. So there's like four or five films with him that I've seen that's like he's literally like in it for five minutes. Right. <laughs> beefing up your charles bronson scene films. and i've and i've only seen death death wish one so if i watch two three oh, and really? four um i'm right up there it's three more yeah, yeah. yeah. that's another dad those oh, are man. other dad flicks too actually dude those <laughs> movies are so i've heard they're so like the whiplash from the first one to the second is ridiculous like it's, it's ridiculous just, you know it just you, goes you from like s- serious action movie with like social contacts with to just like 
straight up just shoot him up. Exactly. Killer. Exactly. I've I heard him in a while, but I do remember Charles Bronson just kind of jogging through the streets. You just see the bullets missing him. It's just so funny. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, <laughs> I've heard great things about either Death, Death, Death Wish three or Death Wish four. And I'm not sure. Um, but one of them has gotten a lot of praise from some of the people I'm friends with on Letterboxd. And it's intrigued me because I'm always curious when like a sequel, it get sort of gets a little bit more talked about than like than the original. Um, so Death Wish is one of those things. I, I haven't seen it. So um, it's one of those things I got to I got to look into. Oh, all right. Yeah. Well, from the people I follow on Letterboxd, they both look like they have pretty decent scores. So nice. Again, it's yeah. So just... that's always that's always exciting to see that. So like, not not like the whole series would be crap or anything like that. So that's good. We should, we should cover the Bruce Willis one. Ha! <laughs> not we. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that one had a lot of backlash. That did. Yeah. But I don't. I, I don't actually... care to watch it because I still haven't seen the the original Bronson one. So I I liked Bruce Willis's Death Wish. I'll you saw that. it. I did see it, so it wasn't that bad. I liked it. No, it wasn't. Not at all. Not at all. I think you. I think you'd also dig it, Ben. I don't know if I dig it, but I don't. I think, I think you, I would. I it's think definitely would. probably average, at least. At least you can say that. But I mean, I enjoyed it. <laughs> a couple of couple of uh, friends that we know too uh, liked it. One in particular. Um, but yeah, I, I did well, like, like it. I, the... I will watch. Uh, the Bronson Death Wish at some point, though. I've only seen part of that one. So um, the but... Death Wish that you're talking about had a 71% score positive on Rotten Tomatoes from the audience. What did it have from the critics, you think? Probably like uh, 30 or 40. Eight, 18. 18? Yeah. Geez, look at that. Yeah, well, forget them. <laughs> now I have to, to watch it. Yeah, don't even listen yes. to that. But regardless, Chris, all right, we. What? Oh, I was I was asking Chris if he saw it. If he saw uh, the uh, Bruce Willis Death Wish. I think I have. That was that's relatively newer, right? Last it's, ten yeah, years. It's where he's like. Uh, I think he's a doctor instead of a architect. I have yeah. seen that. Right. Yes, yeah. I have seen that okay. one. Yeah. 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 I think it's great. And I I didn't I didn't hate it. I thought it was, I thought it was solid. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Then I think you. Um. <laughs> All right, well, uh, I guess we can tie this up, right? So Down Twisted, um, really fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. And sort of did this as a indirect tribute to Mr. Albert Pune, uh, rest in peace. And uh, really glad that I was able to pick this for uh, you guys to watch. And I, I think I think it was fun. I'm, yeah, I'm really glad absolutely. that we watched it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. I'm going to revisit it at some point. Yeah, yeah, I think when, I am too. When we get that sweet Blu-ray remaster from MGM slash Amazon. <laughs> yes. Never, but I hope we do. Well, I would that'd buy be so cool. How about this, Chris? Just for you, I'd buy it. Just like we're gonna what did we just buy, Kevin? That what did I just buy before this show? I don't even remember. Lust something. Lust caution. Something. You bought lust caution. And- <laughs> yeah. Yes. And boys, I just we bought all, all three of us. We just oh. bought lust caution. Oh, yeah. Chris, Chris, we all just bought it. Wait, 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 I pulled Chris, the you, trigger during the episode. You did. You yeah. did. During the app. Well, in the middle of the episode, I, I just I pulled the trigger 
paid for it. We're going to be doing it eventually. So I, and I love the movie. So <laughs> I, I have to have another. Make it rain, yo. Make, make it rain. Make it rain. <laughs> well, on that note, we will see you next time. Later, guys. Adios. to the searchers podcast if you want to hear more of our thoughts on movies you can find us on letterboxd ben at giant 13 chris at ziglet underscore mer and me at kevin chan find us on spotify and apple podcasts and on searchers film until next time people <laughs> <laughs>